This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. After the bye week, the Badgers are back to work. Got a chance to talk with Luke Fickle this morning and plenty to get to for sure. I think, Joe, Jesse, we probably need to start with the breaking news out of Iowa City. Cade McNamara, down, not on the depth chart. Guess who the starting quarterback for the for the Iowa Hawkeyes is going forward? Sounds like it may be one Deacon Hill. Deacon Hill is a starting quarterback in the Big Ten, as predicted by Zach Heilprin in spring of 2022. Now, I'm not going to take a victory lap because I said it was going to be Wisconsin's starting quarterback at some point. But, yes, um, it wasn't great the other night against Michigan State. It was, uh, it was a little rough, a little rough. But we'll see what happens with that whole situation. But it sounds like he's going to be the starting quarterback going forward. doesn't seem like Cade McNamara is going to be back anytime soon. And Wisconsin and Iowa meet in less than two weeks. That's going to be a scene. Of all the quarterbacks that have left, the one to come back that never had a chance playing at Wisconsin is now going to be leading a Big Ten team back into Camp Randall Stadium. It's a little, it's a little funny, but um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Iowa is is not a very good team. The Big Ten West, not a very good uh, conference, or I should say, a division. But it is what it is. We uh, had a great time last Thursday night out at Monks with Tanner Bordellini. If you haven't seen that, uh, Temple and Heilprin, you can't see it, but if you want to listen to it, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. We talked to him about a lot of different things, including whether it be a failure if they didn't win the West. I know this is a topic that we talk about every week, but I feel like even after this weekend, after watching some of these games, kind of feel that same way. It's It would be a failure if they don't. I'm only pausing because I can see all your TVs in your, uh, in the reflection. So what? So, huh? what? so what? All right. I didn't know if you were aware or cared. Andy Reid, looking good. I All don't right. care. Okay. Um, I keep saying this week after week that it would be a, a failure, and I feel more confident in that now because the West Division is terrible. Um, sorry, did that mess you up? <laughs> no, you're well. Hey, it's all good, man. It, it, no, it, I just it clearly messed you up. It cl- clearly uh, was affecting you more so than it was affecting me. I'm trying to keep my eye out for breaking news because, again, while I uh, spend most of my time covering Wisconsin, it's not the only thing I cover. And so trying to keep an eye out for anything that may be happening in the sports world, that's what I was doing in this moment. But apparently it was affecting your ability to do the show. So I will stop watching that and and hope that nothing breaks in the meantime. Uh, No, I I didn't think you were going to include this in the episode. Oh, I'm including it all. I'm including it all in there. All right. Well, I learned a lot about Aaron Rodgers. Looks good in his mustache, and Andy Reid is looking good in his Chiefs gear. Uh, yeah. Sorry, got a little distracted. Uh, West Division sucks. That's just where we're at. Nobody's good. Wisconsin has played one conference game and is the only team that is undefeated in conference play in the West Division. I would just. I don't know how you can look at it now and say it would be anything less than a failure. Now, a lot of that has to do with the high expectations of this Wisconsin team. I think they've made good strides here, but it also has to do with just the lack of goodness from the other teams in the division. Well, I mean, Purdue 
went out and smoked Illinois. Like that was a pick them and it wasn't even close, but they put up 40 some odd points on them. It's, it's a bad year down in Champaign. It's obviously another tough offensive year in Iowa city, Minnesota struggled a little bit with Louisiana. I think there were, there were a lot of situations this week where it's like, Ugh. and Nebraska didn't even put up a fight against Michigan and Michigan's a really good team, but they didn't even put up a fight. That game was over before it started. So yeah, so a really, really tough weekend, I guess, if you are a, a fan of the Big Ten West. I don't know. You know, I mean, Northwestern put up a fight for the first half. Someone's like, oh, I, I said like Penn State's sleepwalking. Someone's like, no, their defense is really playing really, really well. I'm like, eh, okay. It ended up being 41 to 13. So Penn State was clearly sleepwalking in the first half, just like everybody does walking into that stadium. But Wisconsin has a huge opportunity. And I think that I, I thought they had a huge opportunity before the season, just based on some of the other teams in this league, but I didn't think it would be like this. I didn't think it'd be this bad. And so again, Wisconsin's far from perfect. They have warts that will, that will surely talk about if not this show, then maybe next, uh, the next show leading into Saturday against Rutgers who can run the ball and Wisconsin has not necessarily stopped the, the run overly well this year, but it'd be a huge failure if they didn't. It would be. And I just don't look at any of these other teams and say, gosh, yikes. And it's not like in Wisconsin's crossover games, while Rutgers, I think, is a better team than what people are giving them credit for. The, the crossover games are against Indiana, who may be the worst team in the conference, and obviously Ohio State at home. So their crossover games are really are really favorable, and they get the some tough teams uh, in Madison as well, like Iowa at home. So, yes, failure. But again, I as you have alluded to every time we've talked about this, we talk about this every show and we're going to continue to talk about it because it is what it is. So, all right, moving on, Wisconsin, a couple of a couple of news and notes from Luke Fickle's press conference. Obviously, Ches Malusi's season is likely done. He's out indefinitely. And now it goes to what do they do with Braylon Allen and how do they work out his workload? And also, what are they, who... Which of those two behind him, Jackson Aker, Katie Akamelli, are going to play bigger roles? It sounded like, after talking with Luke Fickle, that you could see both of them with increased roles this week. What did you gather from Luke Fickle's comments? Well, I asked him, I said, Ches was averaging about 13 carries a game. Do you, what do you think is going to happen here with whether it's a combination of Jackson and Kate or? And how do you manage Braylon's workload knowing full well he's got a history of injuries and you want him for the full season? I think right now, I'm sure they've had an entire week to discuss the plan, but one of the things Luke said is we're going to see kind of how both those guys handle it. And it could be each of them playing in some capacity. I, I certainly think Jackson comes in here with the advantage given where he was towards the end of fall camp. We saw when there was uh, some injuries to Chez in fall camp that Jackson was the second running back in there. And Luke even talked about Cade got a lot of those looks in spring ball. When they got to fall camp, they kind of wanted to see what Jackson had. Now that doesn't mean Cade won't be a factor in this, but I think Jackson is to me, the number two back. And then I don't know how much we'll see Cade, but they have different skill sets. Jackson to me is more of a, a power type of back. That's why he was a fullback, even though he has played running back and Cade has a little bit more speed and shiftiness. So maybe you use both. But one of the things that Luke said is he doesn't feel like the plan is going to significantly change in terms of 
maybe distribution of carries, but also I think Braylon's going to have to carry a little bit more. I just, he has, he has not averaged a ton of carries and some of that's been mitigated by the, the pass catching opportunities that he's had. So it's really a delicate balance that this coaching staff has to deal with for the next eight regular season games. Cause there's no more buys available. You need Braylon to have a successful season. You don't want to overwork him, but Braylon and Chess were one of the best running back duos in the country. So I think there's at least some drop off with the next guys, but we've got to wait and see what they have to offer. I think that, I, look, I like Jackson Aker, I like Kate Yacomelli. Chess Malusi was a huge part of this offense and a huge oh, yeah. part of what they were doing and how in the success that they had. I mean, he just, he offers a little bit of something different than Braylon did to this point in what he, you know, his ability to get to the edge, his ability, it just feels like he's a fit naturally for this offense. Like he was a very, very important piece to this offense and losing him for the year is going to be a, is a huge hit. And I know you're not going to replace it with those two guys. You're just not. And giving the ball to Braylon more, I don't know necessarily that that's a good thing. You're going to lose, you're, you're losing something here and you can't replace it. They don't have the guys to replace it. Now, in terms of actual numbers, in terms of like the carries that those guys are getting, obviously they're going to go up. But in terms of what Chaz bring, I don't think there's not a player in this team right now that could replace what he gives them on the field. Chaz was in the midst to me if it's the best season of his career. And I realized that in 2021, he was the starter until he got hurt. So maybe the carries weren't where they were before, but just in terms of everything he was bringing to the table, he looked fast. He looked physical. He was so sharp. He was just the perfect blend for this kind of offense to the point that I think you and I were both getting questions about whether he was a better fit or, or should be getting more reps than Braylon. Now, as I said before, you needed both of them because they're so talented, even though they do a little bit different things. So absolutely, it's it's a tremendous loss. And to me, it's one of these storylines of this game is what what exactly is your plan here as a coaching staff? You had some time to mourn that loss of a player and and guys clearly were reeling when we were talking to them right after that Purdue game. And Chez was coming out of the locker room on crutches with a, uh, a towel over his head and was just despondent, understandably so. But now you've had that time. Now you have to lock in and get ready for this game. And I don't know exactly what the answer is other than we're going to see some other guys that we would not have otherwise seen. You know, the other injury aspect coming out of Luke Fickle's press conference is talking about two guys that haven't played yet, Isaiah Mullins and, and Jake Renfro. Sounds like Isaiah Mullins is still – a little bit of ways didn't feel like it was going to be a guy that was going to be suiting up on, on Saturday against uh, Rutgers. We'll see Jake Renfro did suit up against Purdue did not play in that game. However, last week, and we got the chance to talk with Tanner Bordellini, as I mentioned earlier, we got to, uh, last Thursday and he said that he was getting more reps and getting more reps and feeling more comfortable. And that's kind of what we heard from Luke fickle uh, today as well. He said that, uh, we believe if needed, he's a viable option this week. And I don't think he's a buy. He wasn't, I don't think he was a viable option against Purdue. So that's a possibility. But the notable thing about this is it's, they're not just going to plug him back in. I think like there's been some idea that as soon as he comes back, you're just going to plug him into center and Tanner Bordellini will go to the, one of the guard spots. And that doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, at least uh, right now. I mean, he may get some reps this weekend, but it is not going to just be a certain, this is not like, like an NFL player coming back from an injury and you're just going to throw him right back in. He hasn't played football since 2021. He missed all of last year. He missed most of spring, missed most of fall camp. So while he has played, 
played a lot of football at Cincinnati and they know who he is. I don't, it, and Fickle said this, they're not just going to switch things around uh, to, to get him back in there at this point. They're not at that point in where his recovery is. Right. They know a lot about him, obviously, from being at Cincinnati. They trust him, but you're exactly right. He missed all of last season with an injury. He was healthy for all of three practices in the spring and has not been a part of the regular rotation since then, even when he was healthy in fall camp was really only starting to ramp back up and was getting the majority of the snaps with the twos. The only snaps we saw him get were a handful with the ones when I think there were some snapping issues and very brief, and then he got hurt again. So it's a really tough situation because you're already in the middle of a season and you have established your rotation. I didn't think going into the season, they would have just six players on the offensive line that were regular guys, but it's worked out because what they've been able to do is throw Trey Wedding in there for a series at left guard, throw him in there for a series at right guard. So you can consistently rest Joe Huber and Michael Furtney, but your tackles are playing a lot of snaps. And obviously so is Tanner Bordellini in an ideal world. You would have seven for this kind of offense, but Luke talked about maybe there are going to be some situations where you can work him into a game, but absolutely you're right, Zach, this is not like, well, we're just waiting to get to week six. And when they play Iowa or Illinois, Renfro's going to be our guy. We're going to move Bordellini back to guard. Somebody else is going to be moved out of the starting rotation. And we're just going to go with seven guys. That's not how it's going to be this season. So maybe, maybe you need the full off season and you reevaluate next year, but even then you're going to have a different guys, potential NFL departures. So I think this is really the six that you're going to see for a, a, a substantial period of time at least as regulars getting the bulk of the snaps and if you can figure out a way to work Renfro in there and start to get comfortable potentially change things but I think they like what they've got right now yeah I don't I don't see them changing anything and I know a lot of people are like well what about the snaps what about Tanner's snaps and it, it like it not getting back to him quick enough we talked to him about that as well last Thursday and asked him straight up actually played a little over overreaction or no with him and I, I just asked him straight up, Tanner, Bordellini snaps need to be getting back to the quarterback quicker. Is that an overreaction or no? And he said, that's an overreaction because no one in the staff has told me that my snaps need to be back there quicker. So until they indicate that it's an issue, it's not. I mean, what did he say? He was talking about trying to get the ball right where Tanner wants it so he can look downfield and decide whether, you know, where, whether he's going to hold it, whether he's going to throw it. The different stuff that comes with being the quarterback in those those uh, read option situations, the uh, uh, pass run options that this offense is full of. That's the most important thing. And only a few of the snaps have really impacted that. So we'll see. I, I, I don't think it's as maybe as big of an issue to them in the building as it is to fans that are watching the game, but I thought it was a worthwhile question to ask. So that's why I went ahead and asked it. I think Jake Renfro, if he'll get he'll get some snaps this week, but I don't think it's going to be enough to be like, oh, yep, he's the guy. Throw him in there against Illinois and throw him against uh, Iowa and throw him against Ohio State. Like I just don't I don't see that happening. I think you're right in that they've kind of settled on what it's going to be this year. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, and the the snap situation, I, I mentioned this on the Temple and Heilprin show. Like I feel like it's just one of the more overblown early season storylines, um, largely because. I thought that was just you sucking up to him, but go ahead. No, because I wrote that. I wrote it before we even talked to him. I did the, the like, uh, was it on a one to 10 scale of uh, 
how serious is the an issue this is? And I said two out of 10. <laughs> I, it was my lowest rated one just because it, the, the teammates and coaches have said like it, it hasn't significantly impacted the timing of things. I know there have been some sequences where obviously it looked a little slow and it looked like guys were moving, but what matters most? You get the ball in a position where Tanner can succeed. You see what happens when it goes awry, that that's going to be a problem. So no, I wasn't just sucking up to Tanner. Uh, I mean, it is a little awkward and uncomfortable talking about these things right in front of a guy, but uh, I feel like I try to call it like it is. And if I thought it was a huge issue, well, I would have written it too. Yeah, I'm not. I, that wasn't me calling you out. I was just saying I, I, when you said that, I was like, God, all right, kind of sucking up here, but that's fine. Um, that was just in the moment. That's what I was thinking in the moment. I, I did. Uh, I did a bit of an eye roll when you said it. Uh, you, you didn't see that, but I did when he said it that night. Either way, the other thing that was interesting to me coming out of that, and I don't know if we have a better idea about it, but Muma and his playing time. Do you have a better sense of what he why he didn't play? I thought he gave a little bit more to it, but it's not like so. What he said was Purdue and the way that they were spreading them out uh, led that he thought Jake Cheney was in a better spot for that. Kind of felt like the first three offenses they faced kind of spread them out as well, and maybe maybe this was an adjustment on their part. Maybe against those three other teams, they didn't like the way that Mumu was playing, but to go from playing a ton to playing one snap and doing it as a guy who's a captain felt a little off. And do you, do you, do you have a better feel for that? I give you kudos for asking the question, um, but I can no. only go by what he's saying. And well, I mean, he offered a little more in that. I think based on what he's saying, they just like Jake Cheney better at that position right now. They like what he has to offer now. The other part of the response had something to do with the difficulty in subbing people in because of how quickly Purdue went, but I don't. If you wanted to get a guy in at some point throughout the course of every drive, you probably could have. So that's kind of what it sounds like. They just thought Jake Cheney was a better fit for that game and that matchup. And it, it is, while Jake has, I think, had a really good start to this season, it is surprising given the fact you're talking about a, a senior captain who started all of last season was the team's leading tackler at 95 tackles and, and started the first three games to go from that to one snap. You can love a guy, but I, I it's, it's still sort of head scratching to me. It is again, players are available on Tuesday afternoon. So uh, I su suspect the questions will be asked of, of Muba and where his mind is at after the game with Jake Cheney, it was, I got moved there in the middle of the week. I got moved to his spot, and that's just that's just what it is. Mumo will be back. Okay, all right. We'll take it. We'll take that for what it is, and and go and move on. But those were the things that that kind of stood out to me. I know you're working on a James Thompson Jr. story. He has has he been the biggest not surprise, but the biggest revelation uh, along that defensive line, maybe on the defense in in general to this point. I would say the entire defense. I mean, I wrote about Hunter Wohler last week, but everybody saw that one coming. Like, it's not a surprise. You knew even in fall camp, there were some moments where he might have decapitated somebody if you could if you could tackle somebody. And you just saw, oh, my God, he is perfectly built for this defense. But with James, yeah, he played a lot last year. But 
did you, I didn't see like, oh, he's a guy who's going to take it to the next level and be someone who's capable of leading the team in sacks and tackles for a loss. And that's what he's done early in the season. He's been a difference maker. And, and Luke Fickle mentioned he's done all this, essentially playing somewhere around 50% of the snaps. I'll have to look at some of the advanced numbers to see exactly what it is. But he said he's put himself in a spot where now as a staff, you've got to think about, well, should he be getting 65, 75% of those snaps? And I think that's pretty notable. So to me, he's made the biggest leap defensively from where he was last year. And also just what we thought or expected out of guys coming into this season. They needed help on the D-line. Obviously, you lose Keanu Benton, you need an impact type player. And he has been that guy through four games. Yeah, definitely has been. Has been. Um, one other news, the, the Iowa game, I know we talked about that earlier in the show. The Iowa game, the 3 p.m., uh, kick time at Camp Randall, October 14th. That game going to be on Fox. So you're not going to have to go find it on a streaming app anywhere. Uh, I apparently owe an apology. I, I guess I was acting a little uppity when I said $6 was a little bit much um, for, uh, for, for Peacock. So I apologize to the people that were offended by that. Uh, as I said, th- there were, there was somebody offended in the mentions. There was somebody offended. I'm going to apologize to that person that um, again, I, Everyone chooses their, to use their money for whatever they want to use it on. My wife decides she wants every single streaming app. I, I, so I have Peacock. You have Peacock because it came with something, right? No, I think we just, I don't know why. You just, you, <laughs> just you said it. about it. You mentioned it last week. Yeah. I think there's some shows on there that apparently yeah. are intriguing. Yeah. So, but I understand the people, people being upset. They're going to have to pay all these different uh, streaming things to find the Badgers. And I understand if you don't want to pay the $6 or maybe it's just the principle of having to pay the $6. I get that. But did you look at the weather on Saturday? If you're in Madison, you should be out at the game. It's supposed to be like 55, 60 degrees, going to be sunny. It's going to be absolutely perfect. So if you don't want to watch it on Peacock, you should come down and watch it at Camp Randall. I think it's going to be, uh, it's finally, finally fall weather. One more thing. You mentioned my TDs earlier. Uh, I just want to say thank you to you because you recommended getting YouTube TV. And the multi-view of YouTube TV is the best thing ever. The past two weekends, I've been able to watch on Saturdays and Sundays. I was with the Badgers playing on Friday night, so I was able to get home and watch football all day. And I was able to watch football all day this past weekend. The multi-view is the best thing ever invented uh, when it comes to sports. I would ask YouTube, because I know they're YouTube TV. You're listening to the show. Can we pick the four games we get to watch? I mean, come on. Don't let Appalachian State in the right corner. I want. Can I have four top twenty-five matchups of my choosing? Right. That that was my one complaint. I'm a huge, huge fan of the multi multi view, but let me choose it because there was on Saturday. I don't know why I wanted to watch Minnesota, but I kind of wanted to watch Minnesota. They were playing Louisiana, but I also wanted to watch you know Florida and Kentucky and some of the other games that were you know USC and and uh, Colorado. Like I wanted to watch all those games, but I wanted another Big Ten game to go along with. Penn State Northwestern and instead I had to watch I think it was Syracuse and somebody so yes allow us to ch- allow us to pick it and it may be the greatest I mean it's the greatest invention of all time I went into this just having it for three weeks because I didn't because I had didn't have ESPN on uh, on Spectrum there for a while and now I can't get rid of it so thank you for that additional <laughs> money that I'm paying out to watch sports I'll try and put it on the company card. I don't think that's going to work though. Um, so we'll see. The Badgers are uh, getting ready for Rutgers. What do we know about Rutgers, Jesse? 
We know Rutgers is four and one, and I believe is yet to beat a team with a winning record, but they did score 52 points against Wagner with six rushing touchdowns. So they've got 15 rushing touchdowns. That's what I know about Rutgers. (laughs) Um, They do again, Greg Schiano. I feel like it's a, it's a slow build there. It was kind of a slow build the first time he was there. I don't know if it's ever going to get to the point where he was when he left there. Probably not, but there is a ton of talent in New Jersey. And if he was ever able to, lock that down, which is probably unlikely. They could have a really, really good team on a regular basis. Uh, But this one I think is going to provide a challenge, especially the way that Wisconsin's kind of given up some uh, yards on the ground, especially to running quarterbacks, which is um, what Rutgers has. I think that's going to be a huge test. We'll talk about that later this week. And obviously on uh, Temple and Heilprin on Thursday out at Monks in some Prairie. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to add on here at all? I think we pretty much covered it. All right. Thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.